For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The University of Utah Utes are one of only three teams ranked in the top nine, both offensively and defensively in yards per play nationally. They are destroying teams. They move up to five in the national college football playoff polls, and yet they are still shown some incredible disrespect by some notable names. Welcome, everybody, to Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network, along with ESPN's Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Rifkin. Delighted to be with you on a Thursday or whatever day you may be listening. No matter how you're listening or where you're listening, we appreciate you making us a part of your busy plans. Please rate, review, and subscribe across all listening platforms. Ryan, Paul Feinbaum is on the move to be public enemy number one once again. Calls out Rob Mullins and his credibility a week ago. Called out Dabo Sweeney and that Clemson football team a couple days ago. And then I don't mean to beat a dead horse with a stick because I know that everybody in sports media is talking about it. Just a couple hours ago, he said that the University of Utah should not be in the college football playoff because simply they're Utah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a silly thing. I, I, I don't really want to dignify it too much with an, a comment other than, you know, he's become one of his callers. Uh, you know, he was centered in the South. Uh, around a fanatic fan base that is based in the SEC about brand. And to to them, they do not believe that Utah is a brand. And that's certainly not the case. Everybody else who actually does their job and watches all of college football, if you're covering the national landscape of college football, can plainly see that Utah is one of the best teams in the country. Uh, their resume, the eye test, all the things that go into it uh, belongs in this conversation. I forgot to tease a big announcement that we have – coming up here at the end of the podcast, so stick with us. We talk about Utah, and the numbers speak for themselves. Sure, they don't have a top 25 win, but USC is seen in the eyes of the committee as a top 25 team. Friday night loss, we all know the logistics that went into that. We don't need to go into that any further because I feel like we've been talking about this loss uh, for quite some time, and at this point in the season, it doesn't matter because everybody has bad losses. We'll get to the Utah versus Oklahoma and the, the implications with Oregon and Utah in this Pac-12 championship, uh, the Big Ten champ, or rather the Big 12 championship and the Big Ten championship here in just a moment. But Utah's defense, 241 yards per game, 185 passing, 56 rushing. They haven't given up or they haven't allowed an opponent to uh, succeed 300 yards this season. What more do they need to show that they need a top 25 win and they very well will probably get it on Friday? Is that one top 25 win enough for all of this naysaying to be put to rest with what's going on? There is no naysaying. The committee told you last night that this is what it is. They're fifth. They win, they're in. The committee told you last night. So there isn't a bunch of naysayers. There's Paul, Paul Feinbaum who's got a big microphone and a platform. Uh, I don't think anybody else out there is saying anything other than that. Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Herbstreet believes that if, 
if Utah wins and does it in a uh, you know it, you know in, in in a deliberate fashion, they're in. Uh, the committee has kept them uh, ahead of any Big 12 team for the entirety of it. They don't have a top 25 win yet. They're still ahead of a team that has a top seven win. Uh, the gap, if the BCS existed, would be large. But since we look at it as five and six, we think it's much closer than what it is. It, the gap is a lot larger than what people think in terms of, let's say, percentage. And I don't believe in unless there's something outrageous that happens like, you know, a 70 to 7 drubbing by Oklahoma over Baylor or vice versa. Uh, does anybody jump Utah and Utah gets in? Now, my only question after all of this then is what happens um, – if and when LSU wins, if they beat a number four Georgia team, is that enough for the committee to leapfrog Ohio State into the number number one spot? Because if it is, I think that's Utah's best opportunity to get to the national championship. To put this all into context, Oklahoma, one loss on the season. Rather, yes, one loss on the season. They lost 48-41 to to Kansas State, a Kansas State team that did have a good season at 8-4, and four, but a very bad loss in their Big 12 uh, penultimate game, 31-12 to at home to Baylor, a team that Oklahoma beat, still lost to Kansas State. They lost to West Virginia 24-20, to um, and their final loss was to Texas 27-24. So Kansas State, yeah, they're a good team. Not a team that should put up 48 against Oklahoma, not a team that should be beating Oklahoma, especially given the implication that they got destroyed by Baylor, a team that lost to Oklahoma. So, yeah, Utah's losses to USC, but USC is better than than Kansas State um, and, and Utah. Well, where do you where do you get that from? They're both eight and four. Uh, USC would, has a USC has a terrible loss against BYU. I mean, it, do you, do you think that the BYU loss is worse than losing to West Virginia at home? Yes, really. Yes, West Virginia's not a good football. team. They're a Power Five team. Yes, they're much better this year than their first year under Neil Brown. Yes, they're a much better football team than what people expected them to be. Yes, you don't lose to BYU as an independent. Group of five, essentially, in people's minds. You don't lose that football game. I don't care what it is. They're, if anything, they're equivalent in terms of an 8-4 and four team and an 8-4 and four team. In fact, I'm surprised Kansas State's not in the top 25, to be honest with you. Oklahoma State is 8-4. and four. They're at 25. Kansas State is at 8-4, and four, and they dominated that Oklahoma State team. So, you know, th- this for me is, is a bunch of nonsense. Uh, who you lost to... Who of anything? The, the bottom line is, if you've been watching football over the last seven weeks, one of the four best teams in the country is is Utah. Period. You know, doesn't mean they can't lose Friday night, and that all will be over. But if you're looking what somebody has shown you over the last seven weeks of the season, they are a better football team than both Oklahoma and Baylor. In fact, I would say Baylor, having lost that game to Oklahoma, has looked better than Oklahoma over the last seven weeks. So. I, I don't know where the Oklahoma rhetoric keeps coming into play and all of this stuff, but I do feel like um, no matter what transpires, if if Utah wins and LSU wins, I don't care what happens in the Baylor-Oklahoma game. Uh, it, it, it means that Utah goes to the final. Well, Oklahoma has – or rather, Utah. Oklahoma does have to win. But Utah has to win for, before all of this actually can even come to fruition. Let's talk about this game. 5 o'clock ABC on Friday kicks off. Uh, college football championship season here for the entire nation. Utah, Oregon spread a six and a half in Santa Clara. We know that Oregon Duck fans don't only travel well, but they 
occupy that entire area once they, they graduate. So this is going to be, uh, I would say fandom is going to favor Oregon a little bit. I don't think that matters. I don't think that matters. Um, what matters is that Utah has an incredible front seven and Oregon has an amazing offensive line and who's going to win that battle because ultimately whoever wins that battle is probably going to win this game. If you look at evidence, Utah's, Utah's won the battle all year long where Oregon's offensive line, for how dominant they are, has been up and down. They haven't been uh, the physical force and dominating factor all year long. I mean, look at the Arizona State game for, for one. It hasn't been the case – um, you can look at the USC game and, and say, well, the defense, uh, you know, blew that football game, in which they did. But don't forget the offense, you know, turned it over inside the five-yard line, got field goals when they should have got touchdowns. I don't even think if Zach Moss was healthy in that football game, they win that football game. They blew it uh, on all phases and all fronts. So um, that loss is just more significantly in the rear view than what we just saw play out two weeks ago in Tempe. And for me, I just don't know if Oregon has an identity. They're still – up in the air. Are they a running team? Are they a physical running team? Or are they going to rely on Justin Herbert to throw the football? They've never fully told us who that is. Uh, and, and with the fact that if they don't know who they are, they certainly aren't going to be the team that, that does it in the, the most stressful scenario and setting. Ironically enough, they can lose this football game, and if Utah gets in, they, they'll, uh, they'll back their way into the Rose Bowl. Crazy how that happens. So you're talk- you've been talking about Utah in this game with more than enough potential, not only the cover, the spread here at six and a half, by the way, over under at 47, very low scoring, the by far the lowest over under of any of the championship games this weekend. But you've been talking about Utah, not only covering the spread, but should be seen as a double digit favorite. Yeah. I, I see the score depending on how bad the weather is, the weather could limit and make that, that number uh, reasonable for the over under. But I think if, 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 if it were chalk, if it, everything holds chalk, I think uh, Utah wins this game 31-13. So what's the over-under, 44? 47. Oh, so it would be the under. Yeah, take the under. No matter what, take the under. I don't know. I don't think that either – I mean, Oregon hasn't put hasn't beaten that over in quite – in a couple of weeks. I know that Washington State and Washington, but Cal, they didn't beat it. Um, I just – Utah's defense is so good. They hold teams so low. I mean, Oregon State, they didn't beat it. Well, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Utah scored 40 points themselves, too. So 42 to 10, and it's an over. I, I'd probably go – I'd take Utah minus the 6.5 and, and, and go with the under. Roll that one, gambling friends out there. <laughs> All right, do you parlay it with Oklahoma minus 9? Um, hell no. You, you roll Oklahoma or Baylor plus 9 on that deal. Um, there's a really good chance that, that Baylor wins this football game. So I, I'm taking those nine points and running. Uh, the SEC other battle that we're talking about, um, you know, as soon as Utah wins, if they are able to win on Friday night, they become the biggest LSU Tiger fans imaginable. Uh, they'll be out there rooting for those those Bayou Bengals to get it done. Uh, they're, what are they, seven and a half favorite? They are seven now. People have been taking the under. All right, so, yeah, so they win by a touchdown. Um, LSU wins. Georgia's out. Utah steps in. Um, Baylor's going to be the conversation. The lack of non-conference, um, eerily similar to, um, to to Utah's, but Utah's was just a little bit better. Um, there's a common opponent with Utah and Oklahoma, though, and that's UCLA. And uh, Utah held them to 
uh, 11 points less, scored about and scored one point more. Um, if that's a common opponent they look at, and if they're splitting hairs by that much, that could play into effect um, when the, the committee makes their decision. Not only that, but they were 28 and a half point favorites in that game and covered. 21. They covered. <laughs> 28 and a half was Colorado, and guess what? They covered. Yep. So it doesn't matter. I mean, this team is 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 just burying everybody. I don't expect that to be the case for this game. I know we just previewed Oklahoma Baylor a little bit and LSU Georgia as well. Who's your Heisman? But if you had to choose between Jalen Hurts and his 1,200 yards on the ground and 16 touchdowns and 3,400 yards in the air and 31 touchdowns and Joe Burrow and what he's led this LSU offense to 4,300 yards and 44 touchdowns through the air, who do you pick? Say that again. Who do I pick for what? Heisman. Oh, Burrow easy. Or... Easy. It's Joe, it's Joe yeah. Burrow. I mean, he's been – He's played in bigger games than anybody all year long and dominated. It's never had a bad game all season. Um, you know, he could go out and throw 10 interceptions against Georgia and them lose, and he'll still win the Heisman Trophy. Who's your Pac-12 player of the year? Uh, right now it's Tyler Huntley. Depending on the outcome of this football game, if, if Justin Herbert does something really, really special and uh, they are able to get the upset and win, I would I would probably go in the direction of Justin Herbert when it's all said and done. But if, if Tyler Huntley just does what he's been doing all year long, uh, the young man deserves the uh, the honor. So on Tuesday, after we dropped the pod, it was announced that Coach Chris Peterson at Washington was stepping down. Head coach or former assistant coach, now head coach Jimmy Lake, uh, takes over as the program's head coach. We haven't had an opportunity to talk about this here on the podcast, but doing our due diligence as a pod, a Pac-12 representative uh, outlet, if you will, what does this say? You know, this is the first coaching change. That we've seen in the Pac-12, not that we saw this coming because we've been talking about Clay Hilton. Uh, there are some whispers about people here and there. Nobody talked about Coach Peterson in Washington. And, and now we heard, obviously, Mike Leach uh, interviewed at Arkansas. What's going on in the state of Washington? And how does this change the outlook for the University of Washington? Because they have a, a top 15 recruiting class coming in. They're coming off like a 7-5 disappointing season. Still bowl eligible. Uh, they've had a... F- really great time building this program under coach Peterson the last four or five years. Are they in a position to go on and still be successful without him at the helm? We'll see. Of course, I think he's built a identity and a foundation and the guy that made the seamless transition with Jen Cohen at the helm, their athletic director, Jimmy Lake, I think is exactly why I think they'll have continued success. And I also think this is also a way to shake things up in terms of what they're going to do offensively. Bush Hamlin probably is not going to be the offensive coordinator. This may let Jacob Eason take a look in the mirror and go, okay, hey, we're going to do some different things here. Maybe I need to come back, change my legacy as a, as a college football quarterback, or he makes the decision to go pro. Either way, Garbers is coming in a year from now. Um, I don't think that this football team is going is, is gonna to miss a step. Um, and that's, that's not to say that what Chris, Pe- what Chris Peterson has been able to do isn't impactful. I think it's, it leads you to – the idea that he was so impactful that he could put something in place that would continue in in fine form. The whole Washington football story, both at UW and at Washington State over the last couple of years as it's unfolded, has been one of the more fascinating conversations in the Pac-12 just because Washington State's success and progression under head coach Mike Lee's Washington getting to play Auburn as a, in the college football playoff just a few years back uh, from where they were in prior years to where they got. I mean, the, the success in, in the state of Washington for college football over the, the last 
I don't know, six, seven years. I mean, we've seen progressions. How does that success continue if Mike Leach does leave? Or if, I mean, we just talked about Washington. I mean, do you see the, the forecast for Washington, the state of Washington, and its college football teams to continue on this upward trend? Well, I mean, I, 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 I like that you look at it as an upward trend, but Washington State hasn't won anything. You know, they haven't won a damn thing. They played for the North title the last three years, not including this year, and, and haven't won a damn thing. So I don't know what you gauge your success on, the fact that they're bowl eligible for five consecutive years. Yeah. I think it's just relative to program history. Well, program history, they went to Rose Bowls. You were at one of them. I was at one of them. Jason Gesser was at the other. It's That's where they want to get back to, and they haven't been able to do it. So I, I will say this. They, they have improved. Uh, and, and, but I do know the fan base doesn't just want to be a team that wins eight or nine games a year. Uh, they want to compete for a championship. And, uh, uh, I think Mike Leach has done a tremendous job of building a foundation. The facilities are now up to par with others in the conference. I think you have a great athletic director in Pat Chun. And if Mike Leach were to take another job, um, I do not think that the program would necessarily take a step back. And that's saying a lot because I think that for, you know, a while there you thought this team may not be able to do anything without Mike Leach. And I really think that, that he's built something, like Chris Peterson has built something, that it can, it can go on after the fact if they are gone. Keep tabs on what's going on in the state of Washington in terms of its football programs as this progresses. Um, I'm sure that we're going to learn a lot more, especially from Washington State uh, with, with some of the news that we've been hearing whispers from out there. On ESPN on Saturday morning, everybody's going to be watching the game at Kid Brewer Stadium. Appalachian State hosting Louisiana for the Sun Belt Championship. You will be on that call. I know that this is perhaps the most underrated Group of Five uh, uh, championship. I know Memphis Cincinnati is going to be exciting. If Memphis wins, they'll probably represent uh, the Group of Five in the New York's, in a New York's New Year's Wow Six Bowl. Boise State wins, Memphis loses. That could change. Don't have to get into that whole logistical mess. But this Appalachian State Louisiana game has a lot of intrigue to it. To it, can you enlighten us on what all of our listeners are going to be watching? Not the Big Twelve Championship that is up against you guys, but the Sun Belt Championship. Well, I, I think App State's probably the best group of five team out there. I think their resume is better than anybody else's. They have two wins over Power Five opponents on the road. Inexplicably, they continue to lose to Georgia Southern. Uh, it's just a, uh, a schematic thing that gives them a problem. If they dominate a Louisiana team that they had trouble with but found a way to win earlier in the year, I think they easily could be considered by the committee uh, the top group of five. And if Memphis were to get upset by Cincinnati, which I don't know if that's going to happen in and Hawaii does something pretty special in Idaho, um, App State could be the recipient and go to the Cotton Bowl, and I think that would be pretty, pretty darn amazing. I get the chance to go to Boone, North Carolina, this weekend to, to get that call, so excited about that. Catch Ryan on that call with Clay Metvick at 9 a.m. Uh, that'll kick off the, the Saturday slate. I know ESP, or ABC has Oklahoma Baylor, but watch that Appalachian State, Louisiana. Give, give App State some love. Give, give the Raging Cajuns some love, one of the best mascots uh, in the Division One level. Before we get out of here, big announcement on Sunday. We will be live streaming our podcast to Twitter on Ryan Leaf's Twitter, Ryan D. Leaf, on our favorite social media network. Not only will it be recorded, but it will be live streamed. We will be doing a live reaction show to the college football playoff 
releasing or the committee releasing their final rankings. I'm sure Ryan will have a lot of thoughts, and we will make sure that to get to get you those live on Twitter on Sunday, nine o'clock is when we will be going live. Uh, we hope you can enjoy it. Nine Pacific. Nine Pacific. Yes, we hope that you can join us uh, an hour before football begins. NFL football begins. What better way uh, to warm up for a really interesting week of NFL football than with a little college football playoff committee ranking reactions right here on Believe in the Pac-12? But until Sunday morning, bright and early for Ryan Leaf, my name is Jonathan Rifkin signing off. Please rate, review, and subscribe. This has been another edition, the final regular season edition of Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.